0: everybody you're listening to the big chill podcast this is episode 21 check on pour soi sam i want to start with you got a nice little icebreaker question for you fire away What's the weirdest thing in your refrigerator right now?
1: I actually- For our listeners, <laughs>
0: you may think Sam's going to his refrigerator to look, but he's actually
2: just You'd staring at Eddie You'd probably think I would I. do that.
1: You'd probably think that. Uh, weirdest thing in there. I think it's one of the most conventional looking fridges at the moment. All it's got in there is like meats, things like garlic, chili, veg. I don't think there's anything, no? It's pretty dull, so I guess weirdest thing might be some cashew nut curry. <laughs> it's not weird. Wow, exotic! It's Samuel Jones, yellow. exotic by name, yeah. exotic by nature. <laughs> <laughs> it's super yellow, though. It's painfully yellow, like that. So it would look weird if you didn't know it was cashew nut curry. You would think it's a weird substance because it doesn't is look it, like it. Is in it anyway. in an unlabeled jar? <laughs> <laughs> it is in one of those like plastic containers, and it is unlabeled. Okay because obviously I, I don't need to label it for myself so um yeah i'll go i'll go i that go
0: that eddie can you can you tap
2: no curry? <laughs> sadly not actually i don't think there's anything that exotic or interesting in my fridge i mean there'd be a range of hot sauces i guess one of those might be i have hot sauce that's like nine years old that might be does that does that age it does it become hotter <laughs> i work under that principle but i don't think it's i don't think it becomes hotter but i work under the principle that it never goes off
1: does it go bad no i don't think so It still tastes the same oh so you, are okay, you so it's not so you're not deliberately keeping it or just using it because of how good it is or like I it's don't some understand. hot sauce
2: i brought back from a vacation once and it's you know it's pretty hot don't use it frequently and it's still there are you a hot sauce a guy? No. So
0: why well, it? Frank, <laughs> it's
2: been there for nine years. Like, yeah, I mean, if I was, was a hot so? sauce guy, it would be gone. <laughs> it was...
0: Well, he said hot sauces. He said sauces.
2: Yeah, probably got like S- 10. Sauces. You have 10 hot sauces in your fridge. Well, they're not. I, correct. They're not technically all in the fridge. Some are in the fridge. Some are not refrigerated. Um, <laughs> but yeah.
1: Some
0: are yeah. under your bed. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> just, yeah. Just yeah, in so case he like, wakes, wakes up in the night. <laughs> yeah.
0: You're not a hot sauce fan but you have 10 different hot sauces in your apartment.
2: No, I said I'm not a hot sauce guy. By that I mean do I occasionally use hot sauce? Yes, but am I one of those people who puts hot sauce on everything? Like there are people you meet where like they feel as if hot sauce defines them. And they judge anyone else. Like you're not going to put hot sauce on this, you, really? You're not going to put hot sauce on this. You, you know exactly what I mean. Like, yeah, there oh, are those people where it's like a real judgment straight off the bat. And to me, it's like sometimes I want hot sauce, but I don't always. And I'm not trying to prove myself at any point by letting, Like if I don't take the hottest hot sauce, I'm I'm not a man or a very strong woman.
0: Do you put hot sauce on eggs?
2: No, I put ketchup on eggs.
0: Oh, that's
1: kind of strange. I put, yeah, I, No, no, no. I do that. But if depends I on scramble the egg. eggs, I put hot sauce in it. Is it, it depends on
2: sauce when sauce. I say I put ketchup on eggs. Depends on the eggs and what I'm having with them. I don't like, it's not like every egg I put hot sauce with. I mean, uh, like ketchup with. Eggs Benedict, like with ketchup yes. on. <laughs> yeah. No, hold, hold the hollandaise, please. I, I'm just going to yeah. pour ketchup all over this. But like a bacon and egg sandwich, ketchup for
1: sure. Ooh, brown um, sauce for me. No, I'm ketchup, bacon sandwich Brown Brown sauce? sauce. I mean, it is literally what? it's it's HP sauce It's the
2: closest thing for Americans would be like A1 sauce
1: We have HP sauce
2: Yeah,
0: but That reminded me uh, of when I made Beef Wellington and I had to get Coleman's English mustard and it was difficult to find Coleman's English mustard The place we actually found it in, surprisingly was the Walmart (laughs) The the like fancier grocery stores didn't carry it, but Walmart had it in
2: stock. I think difficult to find, except if you go to a major supermarket chain.
0: Well, that was the thing. We looked at because we have a few nicer grocery stores that have you know like a lot of more exotic foods and you know different like types of English things from mustard. other countries like international. Yeah, and no chance that three of them didn't have it, not even Whole Foods. And then at a last attempt, we were like, let's just check while we're here at Walmart. And there it was. It's pretty was good. It? Normal price. I don't know, three, four dollars. Like a normal mustard. It wasn't more expensive than any other mustard on the shelf.
1: Right. Except
0: like the the Walmart great value mustard. That's a gallon for 55 cents.
2: <laughs> if you're buying that, you got a problem. If you're buying a gallon of mustard, unless you are like organizing a huge barbecue or like, like a, or a, store. Store. <laughs> like yeah, a unless, yeah, unless you are using it for a party or something, like you got to rethink your life. If A, that's where you're trying to make your savings is in your mustard purchases. And if B, you're <laughs> going through enough mustard in like such a short period of time that you can justify
1: buying it by the gallon. That measurement this is- should be nowhere near a condiment. It's true. The, I mean, that one's probably the least
0: gross out of all of them. Like a gallon of mayo, that just severely. Oh, uh, that's me awful. Out.
2: That's yeah. so I like. Gross. I like mayonnaise, but just the concept of it just is disgusting. Oh, it's
1: just egg and like, oil. <laughs> like every gross. once
2: every once in a while, I tip for any of our listeners. I use mayonnaise to remove uh, like ring marks from tables, like from wood, and you, like you know when you have a like a, from a glass. If you just rub some mayonnaise in, let it to set, and then clean it off, the mayonnaise, it will get rid of the mark. Question. Yeah. How did you come about that? I uh, was told it. Didn't believe it. Tried it. It worked. And now
0: I I've heard heard it. Yeah, I've heard it too. just
1: did you tell anyone that you were doing it for that reason? Or did you just look really strange when like you came in? <laughs> like and oh, a couple I, of friends. I didn't do it in there. public,
2: Sam. So <laughs> and I didn't decide to do it when I had guests over.
0: <laughs> yeah. But Sam, I will Eddie say. just doesn't put mayo over his wood when guests are around. Yeah. I'm not like <laughs> Does that
1: you. I'm not, one of, I'm not one of your kind.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: one of your (laughs) guys, yeah
0: a person uh, who lives in london
2: (laughs) exactly and sprays their mayonnaise liberally but the um the first time i did do it i will say it was one of those things i then put a bunch of mayonnaise on my wooden coffee table and then in a moment thought as i was rubbing it in my hand like there was that moment of I hope that this works and this isn't just some joke that has been played on me and that I'm currently not rubbing a bottle of mayonnaise into my table for no reason. But it, it works. I've done it now maybe 10 times. It always works. If you do it on a big surface, it does make my living room smell like mayonnaise for a while, but
1: what are you going to do? Great bonus. So, yeah, I mean, if you love mayonnaise, it's just a double win-win, really, isn't it? So um,
2: Now, talking about me saying you kind to you there sam don't know if you saw some of the news out of the nba i know you're a big phoenix suns fans now but but the miami heat have been hit by a little bit of a controversy crazy
1: what is going on with my life at the moment (laughs) especially
2: considering you know you and i are often late for podcast recordings because we're playing call of duty together and it looks like uh we have to be careful of who we play with if we stumble across Myers Leonard, the Miami Heat uh, player who, whilst playing a game of Call of Duty, said, don't fucking snipe me, you fucking... And then he used a, a slur for Jewish people beginning with K,
1: bitch. I had never heard this slur, by the way. Is it an American-centric slur? Yeah, 100%. Okay. Okay. You don't yeah. hear it outside of America.
2: But it was interesting to me, his apology has been so bad because his apology has been like, I didn't know what the word meant. Like that's his apology. He didn't even really say sorry. So just well, like random syllables. And- well, that's always
0: the thing I think with a lot of these is like there's a lot of curse words and very offensive words that people don't really get why they're so offensive. And just say them as like a place filler for like, I'm angry, I'm going to say such and such words with not any real, they're not saying that to that person with the meaning of that word, right? Which he obviously wasn't because I mean, I don't think before he started this game was like, hey, just to check our what are you guys Jewish or Christians? Or what, what do we got? What do we got here today in the game? You know, like, I don't think I don't think that's happening, you know, so
2: well, it's just he was- kind of using that word. He was sniped by Chaim uh, (laughs) Moscovich. That's so
1: good. But he is using the word derogatorily, right? He is degrading someone with that. I can understand. It's not like that was an incredible shot. You. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. yeah. You (laughs) little
2: bitch. One, two, (laughs) three. There we go. From downtown. (laughs) <laughs> I understand him saying I didn't understand the full historical context of the word but to say like I didn't know it was offensive until I yeah. threw it out in an offensive like you obviously knew it was an offensive word it. and that's what because
0: that's why you're using it there exactly it's not like it's not like he said like pie eater you know yeah. like <laughs> that's, that's He's a using answer, that word yeah. because because he knows right exactly <laughs> he knows it's a bad word
2: yeah and then so the apology just sucks and and you also, it's something we've spoken about before too, right? If you're using it in that context, it's not the first or only time that you've used it. Like the go-to phrase of insults or swear words that you throw out in a moment of kind of like anger or rage are going to be words or sequences of words that you are comfortable with. So it's not like, oh, never used that one before. Surprise myself. I
1: didn't even know what yeah. it meant. It wasn't like he just said the word and then went, what the hell was that? Like maybe he's I testing some
0: new ones out. His yeah. old curse words aren't working. He wants to test some new new material.
2: Yeah, he's got like a you know when you get the word a day toilet paper. He's got like racial slur a day toilet paper. He's like, oh, definitely gonna use this one on my. Life I think what lady. yeah,
1: what adds insult to that one is the fact that it's then toilet paper. So you see a racist <laughs> word then and then wipes shit your on it.
2: Uh, we got to start this as a business idea. But the... After
0: the response he got, he's crossed this one off. He's not going to use yeah. this one again. <laughs> no, nope, bad not, response. Did Next
2: word. Did not <laughs> land, guys. Cost me my NBA job. <laughs> not so good. Is,
1: so is that what's happened? Like, what's the... I, I saw what he had said. I saw that it happened on kind of like a gaming platform. But what's going to happen to him? Like, I saw some sponsors have left him. But what about the club? Yeah. So he's currently suspended indefinitely, I believe,
2: is the status that he's in. But... Um, as to what his long-term future is. I mean, he's 29 years old. He's a pretty decent player. So it would be surprising if this does really uh, end his career. But the other thing that makes him look bad was... He was one of only two players in the league last year to stand rather than kneel during the playing of the national anthem. Oh, <laughs> so son. so he's, he's combined the, the stance of like, look, I'm not racist, but I don't think this is the good move with now saying a racial slur on a live stream playing video games. And you're not putting together the greatest catalog of moves.
1: There's always room for him in the British royal family. <laughs> oh yeah. Man, we should get him on to get his
2: thoughts on Meghan Markle.
1: <laughs> it would just be I mean we'll immediately
2: mark it as explicit, right? <laughs> I should say that his justification for standing during the national anthem was that he was doing so to honor his brother who was a Marine. Do you take that? Is that is that I think it's a really bad excuse not to not because you shouldn't you shouldn't show reverence to people who you know go to the armed forces or any kind of public service, but obviously the gesture is greater than a single person. So I think your brother would understand. It's not like, hey, when I kneel for the national anthem, I'm actually just like, you know, insulting your entire, entire military history in the process. But um, obviously everyone has different interpretations for different reasons. But when you combine the two, not a good look.
0: Maybe he'll meet up with Julian Edelman. Did you see that at the Edelman response? I did.
2: It kind of bothers I, me. that I Edelman's know it like, does.
0: That's why I brought it up. Because I knew it pulled on your strings.
2: <laughs> I saw it and it was just like, eh, you don't have to weigh in on this one, Julian. And also like this, he's desperately trying to define himself as the Jewish athlete. And it just kind of bothers me. Like he didn't. And I look, maybe he always felt the way that he feels, but it certainly appears that over the course of his NFL career and people can discover new religions and change who they are or change what they believe at any point in time. So it's not to say that, but there does seem to, he does seem to be positioning himself kind of now from one NBA players fall from grace. I thought before we get onto our Cheltenham preview, we could maybe discuss a week in which both Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi were knocked out of the champions league at a, relatively early stage, particularly for, Leo, for Cristiano Ronaldo, who's basically the king of the Champions League, is this, we've talked before about who the young players are kind of next in line are, but is this the official moment at which neither Cristiano Ronaldo nor Messi are the best players in the world? Has that handover happened? Without defining necessarily who the next, who the best player is, but it has, do you take them off that pedestal?
1: I think, I think the reason it almost made it a little bit easier with Lionel Messi is you knew Barcelona were going out in that game anyway, so you'd already already made your piece that Messi probably isn't going to be Did in you, the next though? round.
2: Midway through, when he had a penalty to put to them to
1: they absolutely bombarded them for best part of like eighty minutes. Had a penalty. Game. Had a penalty.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, if he we, scored that penalty, if it had been 2-1 before halftime, if it had been halftime, Barcelona 2-1, and you think... Like, my mind when he went to do it was like, uh-oh, now we're in a stage where the next goal in this game is going to be crucial. Because if it goes 3-1 Barcelona, they're now favourites almost.
1: Yeah, and look, we mentioned that in the previous game, right, when they got spanked by PSG. There was a moment 15 minutes in where it could have gone completely the other way. But what I mean is, like, the deficit that they carried most people would say that they fully expected Juve to turn over that 2-1 deficit, whereas obviously Barcelona's was a lot more of a mountain to climb. I do have a sense of a changing of the guard in that way, just because Haaland did score the goals that kind of made the difference in that game as well. Like, and Mbappe obviously did the damage in the first leg. There does get that feeling, but you know what? and <laughs> Barca might come back next year, get to the semifinals, PSG classically flunk, and all of a sudden what we're talking about, half doesn't make sense again. But I, I do get that sense. I do get the the kind of winds of change in the air with those two.
2: Yeah, no, I think you you make some fair points there. And and definitely Ronaldo going out, well, Juventus going out, it was more surprising. In particular, the, given the fact that they played against 10 men for a significant portion of the match, and then the entirety of extra time. So for them to fail to score until Porto had uh, scored their away goal, or their second away goal, was sort of surprising. Um, and that's, it felt like throughout that, as if that's when you'd expect Ronaldo to score. Even if he'd done nothing through the match, you're like, oh, okay, it's extra time. Ronaldo's gonna pop up with a goal do his little leap into the air and arm thing. And the headlines are all going to be about Ronaldo knocking Porto out, which is kind of symbolic, obviously, with him being Portuguese and playing for Sporting before. And then also, at the same time, Juventus go on to another round of the Champions League yet again.
1: And that he didn't. No. The old lady was dumped out, just like Ronaldo. It does this has been mentioned before as well I do feel like there's an inherent like bias with Ronaldo like even if he just scores an average goal they're always going to say like incredible skill from Ronaldo or he always does it at the right time same with Messi as well like if someone else scores like a normal 10 10 yard curling goal maybe across the goalkeeper it's like nice goal clinical finish but when it's Messi Or Ronaldo. It's like the genius, the skill of the man to be in the position he is and things like that. I do think it's always massively inflated when either one of them makes a difference that a lot of other people make as well.
2: Yeah, I think that's the benefit of brilliance in any walk of life though, right? Is that if you've established the identity of being very good at something, you get credit for it far more easily which is kind of counterintuitive almost because you'd think you'd be setting the bar really high. And unless you match that level of performance, people would say you were disappointing, but there's the other thing of like, well, of course he did it. Like that's who he is or, for she. Um, but I do think that's the benefit. It's hard to lose that, that image.
1: Are they both staying though? Mbappe and Haaland um or where are they going next because if you've got to be the next big thing psg mm, the french league isn't really going to cut it and you know dortmund probably would have to be by munich or abroad where are they going next because i feel like that move has to come at some point
2: i honestly think if you're going to be classified as the best player in the world you have to play in england or spain I don't even think playing for Bayern Munich, like I think if you think of, if you look at how people uh, talk about even Lewandowski, I think it would be very different if he were scoring the same number of goals for Manchester United or, you know, Liverpool or something. But the fact that it's kind of easy to dismiss some of the achievements by saying, well, yeah, but you're, you're playing against, you know, bottom of the table, Bundesliga teams who would struggle in the championship at times. And... So I think if you really... If you care about being viewed as the best player, then you have to go to one of those two leagues. Even in Serie A, I think it would be tough. I think people would again do the same thing and look at the bottom half of that league, not really think it's up to much, and decide that you hadn't totally proven yourself yet.
0: So does Holland replace Messi next year?
2: I mean, the... the likely destination for Holland you'd have to imagine is England. It's the it's the place that probably suits his style of play the most. And obviously he was born in England and has strong ties with England. So um he I mean he said that his goal is to one day play for Leeds, right? I don't yeah. think he'll play he won't play for Leeds just yet. That would be a surprising <laughs> Send move. The bar really high. That would be an
1: incredible <laughs> move.
2: Yeah. I mean, if I'm a Leeds supporter, I would be having my fingers You know, very, very cross. But um, the difficult thing is obviously his, you'd look at it and say that United or Liverpool are the likely landing spots, but then his agent causes a lot of issues. Like Pep Guardiola doesn't want to work with his agent. Manchester United basically don't want to work with his agent. So either he ditches his agent or some people are going to have to swallow some pride in getting a deal done.
1: Do you not see a bit more of like a direct replacement for Aguero? Because there's a lot of rumors about him leaving Man City.
2: If he went to, if Holland went to City, then I think we could just pencil Raph. City in for winning the title for the next ten years almost. Um, but <laughs> again, Pep Guardiola has been really clear, right, that he doesn't want to work with Raiola at all, and so. I mean, if I'm Holland, honestly, I would ditch my agent. I don't understand. Your agent's supposed to be there to help you get the best deals possible, either at your existing club or elsewhere. And it is clear that your agent at this point is holding you back, or at least making it more difficult to do certain things. No matter how good he says he is at negotiating deals, at the certain moment, you got to think, why? I don't personally even understand why you need an agent when you're that famous. Like. You need an agent when you're a small player and you need to help them get a move and sort out those details. Holland just needs a lawyer. Like this is, he just needs someone to sit down and look over the contracts. Like, I don't know why, what's an agent doing for you?
1: I mean, it must be pretty difficult to like negotiate sponsorship deals. So what you're saying is he would have a lawyer that would do all that. You would just hire people when you like mercenary stuff, just be like, I need this done, so do it. Yeah, for your sponsorship and media stuff, sure, hire people who
2: are kind of responsible for that. But in terms of someone really being your footballing agent, who is in some respects, especially from someone who comes from a, a dad who had a successful playing career, you don't need the kind of guidance that maybe someone else might need. Like, I don't know how I'm doing this. Like your, your dad played in the Premier League, had several moves, different teams will know exactly how everything works. Who else do you need?
1: i actually think agents probably benefit more like mid-range players more because you there's so many options to go to that negotiating kind of the best one whereas harlan could go wherever he wants at a click of a finger
2: no exactly and and also too right you need to drum up interest in your player at times so i can get why if you're playing in the championship you need an agent because if your contract's coming to an end or if you want to make a move you need him to call you know the bottom half of the premier league and say, Hey, Bradley Dax available, just in case you're interested, you know, he's look at these stats. He's been having a really good year. He's very fit at the moment. Um, Let go. <laughs> but if you're, if <laughs> that's clearly a lie, <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I wouldn't be a good agent for him, but the, but if, yeah, if you're Holland, it's like, you know, everyone wants you. It's not, if, if it becomes public knowledge that you're for sale, it, you know it's a bidding war, what is it you need? And you know that you can basically name your price when you sit down to negotiate your deal.
1: I, I don't really get it, but maybe there's aspects of it that we don't fully understand. Yeah, I, I think if I was gonna kind of think about it, I think of is more suited with the Spanish style with the kind of really fast wing play, et cetera. Whereas I think Haaland would be destined in a way to England. Um, that's how I see it going, but reality Did, might be different.
2: Did you see? We've we've spoken about Roy Keane a few times on the podcast. Did you see? There's a growing bit of backlash at the moment. I don't know where it's coming from, but people reminding everyone about Roy, what Roy Keane did to uh, Alf Inge Holland, yeah, uh, uh, Erling Holland's dad, and uh, with a number of people saying it is morally incorrect for Roy Keane to still be involved in football in any way. Uh, after what he did on a football pitch, including the former chairman of Manchester City at the time, who said that if he sees Roy Keane on something, he switches it off. Um, But I've also seen it from a number of other ex-players and stuff coming out in the press. I think it's probably the combination of a lot of Roy Keane coverage with a lot of Holland coverage. And so the story is kind of making itself. But, uh, yeah.
1: I think if you openly admit to wanting to destroy someone's career borderline murder (laughs) basically you your value and your kind of stock should plummet i
2: uh sam i I don't know how low my stock would be then (laughs)
1: because i have said that a lot (laughs) i can see the argument uh but the problem is he's tv value right people tune in to see the divisiveness and you know he's obviously uh, I saw, again, click, there's clickbait with Roy Keane now as well. It's barely what he says these days. It's more just a clickbait. Like, people were talking to him about uh, Gerard's win. And obviously, they're like, oh, so, you know, Gerard winning, you know, have you got anything to say to him? He's like, to Rangers, no. And obviously, he's saying it from the perspective of his Celtic days. But somehow, that became clickbait. It's like, why is that s- surprising that Roy Keane would not want to extend congratulations to Rangers? And yet there we are with clickbait on Roy Keane. He like, I, he's a caricature of himself. I don't really, I don't really appreciate him. He just, he just deliberately argues with people I find. So not really, in, not really a fan.
2: Well, on that note, we'll go from one controversial figure and to a festival that will be missing the most controversial figure in horse racing at the moment. And that Gordon Elliott will not be featuring at the Cheltenham Festival. But as promised, this is our opportunity to give a preview of day one and day two of the festival and probably a number of winning tips. I'm sure just the
1: money will be flowing based on on the advice that we throw out. It's kind of sad that there's no fans, but simultaneously this last year. Oh, it's a year ago today, by the way, that the WHO declared this a pandemic. So uh, happy anniversary, everyone. Um, (laughs) Cheltenham is widely considered to be one of like the super spreader events in the UK last year because it was going on when obviously everything was shutting down. But yeah, they did not shut down Cheltenham. Uh, The other game is Liverpool, Atletico Madrid, I think is the other- Yeah, where they they allowed
2: allowed fans to travel and stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So they're the two events- Was it worth it? For Um, Liverpool? I don't think so. I think they lost the game. (laughs) But for Madrid fans, yes. The spreading yeah. the disease glo- globally, yeah. Um, but Maybe that, Sheldon... and look,
2: l- hey, let's be fair. Ever since then, Liverpool have not been good. So uh, the, <laughs> rot, the rot set in when the pandemic uh, hit
1: Anfield. But yeah, it's, um, it's obviously sad that we don't get fans because they form a huge part of this festival. But um, we still get the racing at least. So that's a plus. But,
2: you know, fans are no fans, Sam. You know when the racing starts, you've got to appreciate it. And so on that Ooh. note.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. On that
2: note, why don't we <laughs> kick things off? With, wow, there's
0: uh, three listeners who really loved that. <laughs> yeah.
2: If, if you don't know three. The, so <laughs> the favorite
1: for, the favorite
2: for the first race is a horse called appreciate it. So my 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 move into the to the first race there was incredibly smooth and will probably be copied. And by that I mean genuinely copied as in number of people covering the racing industry will listen to this and then apply it it won't just be pure coincidence um
1: so i'm interested to hear some of your ones later if we're going to be trying to transition (laughs) your runners because there's some odd names in there all right i'll try (laughs) and do it
0: i earmarked a great horse i cannot wait to bring (laughs) up.
2: okay i'll try and transition uh for every race by mentioning a horse featuring how's that but so that kicks us off Appreciate it is the favorite for the Supreme Novices Hurdle.
0: Whoa, whoa, come on, Eddie. Do it justice. The Sky Bet Supreme Novices Hurdle. Oh, I,
2: I need to. No sponsors here. No free sponsors. Uh, it is the around I five like to that, four.
1: I like that climb it's down. not free. They pay tons no of money to sponsor that I love race. it. No sponsors. No free sponsors. I love yeah. the climb down. We can
2: <laughs> tell you what. We've got, we'll, we'll sell spon- like naming rights to these races to anyone else. You can send us money and then we'll refer to what it as.
1: The Sky Bet, big chill prediction of the Sky Bet Supreme Novice kind of thing. No, <laughs> we'll
2: be like the Hyundai Supreme Novice's hurdle, but it will only be known as that here. Um so appreciated is the five to four favorite, uh around five to four. Uh is, are you going with favorites
1: here or or are you looking elsewhere? Um I really like this first race. And the reason I like it, because A, it's a really high quality race. Um, but in the past, Willie Mullins' winners have got me off to a good start in this one as well. So one of my best Cheltenham's I had was when Champagne Fever won a number of years ago and I was there and it just set everything off right it was only like a three four to one shot but it was just such a good start because some of the races that come after it are quite short priced so it's a really good start to it so for me Willie Mullins does really well in this Willie Mullins always has a good Cheltenham and that's what I see happening um I think appreciate it a win I think it's the best horse in the race um I think it lost the bumper last year yeah, Cheltenham. So it's it's accustomed to the ground. A bumper's a little bit different to novices, and don't see a reason why it's not favourite. So yeah, got the favourite
2: here. It's worth noting, even if it did lose last year at the Cheltenham Festival, the fact that it has previously raced at the Cheltenham Festival is a very good sign for it in the Supreme Novices Hurdle. So a few facts for you: twelve of the last twelve winners were were five age, five or six years old. Ten of the last twelve winners had won their previous their race sorry, had won their previous race prior to Cheltenham. So appreciate it ticks that box. Five of the last 12 winners had previously raced at least one time at Cheltenham. So again, appreciate it ticks that box. And 11 of the 12 winners had previously raced at least four times in a hurdles race, which again, appreciate it. Has that going forward, having won every race this year uh, in Ireland.
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, it's got two grade one wins at this, basically the same distance. Um, I just a little shorter, like kept for long shorter. Um, the only thing that kind of worried me was, uh, I think the third favorite Valley Adam, it beat two races ago by like 15 lengths. And then the last race, it beat it by about three legs. So are the other horses kind of catching up and was appreciate it just, in good form early in the year. And now it's starting to level off. That's a little bit of a concern, but it still did win by, you know, three, four lengths, um, and look to be traveling. I actually, I watched, went back and watched the race. It looked to be traveling pretty well. So, um, yeah, I think Eddie said it it does tick a lot of the right boxes and this could be a big Mullins week, uh, at Cheltenham. He's got a lot of big favorites.
1: Um, and this could be a great way to start it off. The thing with Mullins as well, though, is in these like big card races where the field's quite big, usually the kind of second horse he's got or third horse do well. And obviously Bally Adam is that second horse for Mullins. So he does have this weird precedent of like, is Bally Adam not? I thought Bally Adam was a a Mullins horse, but if it's not, I was going to say that whatever, I can't remember Mullins second horse in a race though, but he does have this like notoriety of the second horse In the betting against his favorites, doing pretty well when it comes to the festival. So, Mullins gets a lot of winners, but sometimes it's not the winner you expect. Bally Adam is trained by Henry de Bromhead. Ah, my bad. Can't remember the next Mullins horse, but yeah, I remember the next Mullins
2: horse in the betting would be uh, Blue Lord. Hmm.
0: And yeah, Blue Lord. uh, 12 to to 1. Yeah.
2: Right. Now, you've already said that you're going to be missing the Cheltenham Roar, Sam. But one of the other things that Cheltenham is famous for is the uh, Guinness Village. And there will obviously be no Guinness Village this time around, but there will be a Captain Guinness in the Arkle, currently priced around 14 to 1. Are you going for an outsider? Or we have another heavy favorite here in Shishkin, who is around 10 to 11
1: going for the favorite or going, looking elsewhere? I'm, I'm looking elsewhere, but not to the value you're getting. So I'm going to an I believe that's how you pronounce it anyway, an Ergamine. So it's a nine to four shot. And truth be told until about three weeks ago, Shiskin was probably the banker of the festival, um, at that point. And, um, Energamine then went to the Irish Arkle, so the equivalent of the Irish Arkle at the Dublin Festival a few weeks back, and absolutely devastated it. Like actually posted a faster time than um, Chachan Porsoy uh, in the same race the previous year. So that just threw a complete spanner in the works. I got to, I got to get of...
2: you on the French pronunciation there. <laughs> we got to on Porsoy, but we okay. got to go.
1: <laughs> All right, there we go. We will so, come up later. Clock to faster time. And I just think Shishkin was a banker until that happened, but I think there's value in a nine to four shot that's just done what it's done. So I'm gonna go with that and ergamine.
0: Yeah, I'm actually with Sam here again, another Mullins horse. Um it has dominated its last three three races uh this year, all of its races. I mean winning by like 18, 20 lengths. Um, the other fact that I found was that, so this is Eddie didn't say it is the sporting life Arkle challenge trophy, novice chase, uh, Mullins has won four of the last six. And I, you know, he knows how to train horses for these races. Uh, and I, I really think off the back of that last race, it was super impressive. And I think it could give Shishkin going to run. And I think there's a little more value there. So I'm, I'm going to go with, I pronounce it
2: Enigmin. I Yeah, I think everyone pronounces it differently. Literally every race that it goes out for, you hear it slightly differently. I've heard energamine. I've heard just basically every possible twist on that name that you can have. So we'll go by however it's officially said at Cheltenham, I suppose, in our wrap up. But that will be one thing for listeners to, to keep an ear out for. I think Shishkin is a likely winner here. Uh, eleven of the last twelve winners were six or seven. Eleven of the twelve last winners uh, had uh, their won their last race prior to Cheltenham. Eleven of the last, twelve last winners had run at least one time prior to uh, one last time prior to Cheltenham, and eleven let twelve last winners had run at least four times over hurdles. Again, Shishkin checks all of these boxes. I think that being said, my tip is not going to be Shishkin just because I think. With some doubts there. Um, I think that all mankind 13 to 2 as an each way bet, I think it's got a chance of winning it. And there's value there at each way because I think it will definitely be in the running to place. Waiting for the transition. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, sometimes when you're waiting for things, it's just better to be happy go lucky and relaxed. And with that in mind, Worth mentioning that Happy Go Lucky is the favorite for the Ultima handicap chase, the third race of the day at Cheltenham. This is the most open race we've talked about so far, so all the other ones have had relatively heavy favorites, but here you see joint favorites at eleven to two, happy go lucky and lieutenant Rocco. And then you have one for the team at nine to one, I Write at ten to one, Coco Beach at ten to one, and Iscari at ten at ten to one, and all the all the rest are twelve to one or bigger. Frank, do you wanna who who, where are you leaning this time? I'm leaning towards
0: a no bet on on handicap chases. The field. They are they are my nightmares. Flat racing, big handicap fields scare me. You add the chase into the mix, and it's like just a crapshoot for me. I've never had good luck with any of the, the handicap races. So this is probably one that I would kind of stay away from unless we hit the first two races, then, you know, maybe sit, feel it out a little bit and throw some money on a, on a 15, 20 to one, but yeah, not for me. So your tip is pass. My tip is keep your powder dry as Eddie would say.
2: Well, I think this is one of those races, right? You've, you've possibly, it's a lot of the times you have had, relatively heavy favorites to start Cheltenham off. And so maybe you've backed your favorite backer. You, you've you gone two for two on the first races. You got a little bit of money in your pocket and you feel like now you can take a gamble on the on the handicap or you're a favorite backer. The two odds on favorites have been turned over in the first two races. Your Your pocket's feeling really light and you feel like you have to take a gamble on the handicap to try and make the money back. So... <laughs> All point. All roads point to people betting on this race, no matter Looking how. Looking
1: like a true gambler. I love that. It. Yeah. <laughs> it was like whatever excuse I need to gamble, I will.
0: <laughs> a true degenerate <laughs> rationale.
1: Um,
2: hard to have a strong pick on this one, I will say, uh, just because of the nature of handicap chases. But I do think that Lieutenant Rocco, based on the weight, might be the pick. So it's going to be my tip but I definitely wouldn't say it with any true confidence. Mostly a stay away for me. But one of those races where, do you know what, if you just pick a horse based on the
1: name, it might be the move. That will come up at some point. (laughs) That certainly will come up, especially with the handicaps. So yeah, like you say, first handicap, toughest one. But interestingly enough, as we've said, the Irish do really well at Cheltenham, but... They've only won two of the past 52 for this one. They just don't target it. And I find that quite interesting, um, considering the variety of Irish Raiders that come over. But so for me, taking that into account, I kind of eliminated them, which obviously means this will be third out of 53 that they get. Uh, But I've gone for i I think um, Scottish trained, but also the last two outings it had, it won the... um, uh, Sorry, it had good kind of silver places, second places in the Labrook Trophy at... um, and I can't remember the other race at um, Newbury, but yeah, it had some good seconds in good fields at Doncaster and Newbury, some good grade racing, Uh, but also it did it over both good and soft ground. Uh, There's a bit of a, the UK is meant to have rain over the weekend, but there's a bit of uncertainty about whether parts of it actually will. So they're not sure whether Cheltenham's going to dry up or go softer, but I think because of that good soft variation that it's had in two good places, I think there's decent value at what is it like ten to one? You said I think so.
2: It's it's around ten to one. Yeah, you can you can probably get it a little, little bit bigger in some places, but the official sponsor of the Big Chill podcast, Bet365, has it as at 10, ten to one.
1: And obviously, um, you get four places. I'm imagining with this one as well. So even uh, each way, quarter of the odds. You
2: get you get four places. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you you might actually get five places with some bookmakers because they do do the special offers at times, but standard is four. Now, it is worth saying for any big chill, big, big chill listeners out there, the horse to bet on in this race is undoubtedly a big price at 66 to 1. Soupy Soups has to be the move for any big chill listeners. Uh, That's a good one.
1: Uh, I did not see that. I I mean, there's a point point with a handicap where you just kind of stop, right? (laughs)
2: Yes. I mean, unlikely, right? But hey, 66 to 1 each way. You put ten on it, you 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 know you still have a bit of fun if it somehow manages to sneak its way into contention.
1: Yeah, Cheltenham actually has been one of my biggest wins of a longest price shot. I won a, a Unartiste at forty to one uh, once. So um, wow, well, you're gonna
2: have a sixty-six to one winner in the third race. So exactly. think about that. Shouldn't have really now, about that. I guess, and if I uh, had I'll, to, pick if,
0: if I, if I have to put in a pick. I guess right. I'll I'll yeah. say Far Class. Okay. That's going to be my pick. It's one of those horses that I feel like
2: seen around forever,
0: but exactly. And always seems to be like slightly in the mix. So at 12 to one might even be a decent each way.
2: Right now at this point, if you had a few winners or if you had a few losers, you might be going in to the champion hurdle looking for a little bit of magic. And it's fitting then that abracadabra is racing in the champion hurdle and is 10 to one fourth priced favorites honeysuckle is a favorite at two to one goshen is second favorite at 100 to 30 and epitant is
1: same price 100 to 30 sam who are you where are you going it's race of the day isn't it this one it's such a it's such a good three horse race there and there's still good quality behind them as well but it's it's such a good race um it's one of my, uh, my my favorite days of Cheltenham are the first two a really good hurdling on them from the days of like hurricane fly et cetera. This has always been one of my best races but I'm going with honeysuckle um, and the reason being is that um, it had a near perfect ride a few weeks back in the dublin racing festival um it's it just what I really like about it is that the last time out in that hurdle race in uh, leopardstown. It was probably its best race. And I feel like with every win, this horse gets better. It's it's winning is better. It's more powerful over the hurdles. It it just comes across always at a better horse. And something going for it as well in this race is that it gets a, a um, mare's allowance. So it gets £7 uh, on the others, which is a big deal when it comes to such a good, high-quality race like this. So I think 2 to one's good value, uh, but it's a hell of a race.
0: Yeah. Eddie, still refusing to say the full name of the Unibet Champion Hurdle Challenge Trophy. They are not a social
1: sponsor, so uh, they don't get any (laughs) airtime.
0: So I was... So, Eddie, my first question to you is, does experience at Cheltenham count when you unseat the rider at the last up 10 lengths? (laughs) Or is that bad experience? I mean, that's (laughs) the storyline
2: of this, right? I mean, there's a number of interesting storylines, but... Goshen's return to champion to the to Cheltenham after being the heartbreak story of last year. So, for anyone who didn't see it, with yep. a race in hand approaching the last, just clipped the final hurdle and more kind of lost his balance, and what was quickly but looked very slowly fell off the horse and then proceeded to have a mental breakdown at the side of the track. Um, in what is a very sad story for a, a horse trained by its father, not someone who has that many kind of notable wins, like a successful trainer, but not up there with the, the kind of superstars of the training world. So does it count for something? I guess so. My, my concern, I'll say before you say. Well, I, I remember another
0: horse that unseated a rider no. in Cheltenham and then came back and didn't fare so well the next year.
2: (laughs) The the, the thing with Goshen that would concern me, obviously it's last time out. It was extremely impressive. But prior to that this season, it has looked decidedly average. So you are rolling the dice here as to whether or not the last time was a return to form and the power that it once was, or if you're dealing with either an inconsistent horse or at least a somewhat spent horse. And for that reason, I'm staying away from Goshen, but it would be nice to see it win. And so before you ask, I'll just say my tip here is Epitant. uh, Defending champion, a horse that's really not put a foot wrong at any time in, in sort of recent history, has the best turn of foot of any of these. So the ground, which Sam touched on, it's obviously not going to want it to be sort of super super wet over the weekend and soft underfoot on Tuesday, but assuming the ground stays relatively decent, I'll be, I'll be siding with Epitone.
1: Oh, there's division in the big chill.
0: Yeah. I like so it. I, I will not be siding with Epitone. Um, I also agree. I, I would like to see Goshen win. Um, so last time out, it did look back to form. It was, uh, 20 length winner to a song for someone and then this is where you can kind of start to draw some form lines is song for someone beat silver streak last time out and silver streak is the horse who beat epiton so if you're reading through the form lines there then Goshan should be a 30 length winner to epiton that is not going to happen but um if it does that'd be really awesome because that that would be a bet i just missed but um with that in mind, you know the, the Epiton story kind of scares me because it did lose a pretty, to a pretty ordinary horse probably last time out. Um, the thing that scares me with Goshen is it's actually, like Sam said, it's conceding seven pounds to both Epiton and, and Honeysuckle, whereas if you went off of form ratings, it should actually be getting a few pounds from Honeysuckle. So that's a big change. We're probably looking at like a 10 pounds uh, shift there. So with that, I'm going to stick to being really boring and go with Honeysuckle because it, it's done nothing wrong. Um, it's, it, it goes you know race in, race out, and wins. And I think Goshen could be a challenge, but I think giving up that weight might, uh, might end up costing him at the end.
2: Well, hopefully by this point you've had a few winners. But if you haven't, it's still worth persisting tirelessly in your efforts and a word for that is indefatigable who is 16 to 1 to win the mares' hurdle the favorite is concertista at 11 to 10 you have roxana at 3 to 1 Dame de company at 11 to 2 black tears at 10 to 1 great shark great white shark at 12 to 1 and all the rest 20 to 1 or bigger i think you'll Frank. find it's uh, Dame de Compagnie, I think. <laughs> it's not but (laughs) nice try um frank where where are you going on on this race
0: Uh, this is a tough one um is it yeah that's the thing is eventually you know it's another favorite i like and it's another mullins favorite that i like although um honeysuckle isn't a mullins but still it's a lot of favorites and it's a lot of mullins And that's either going to be a really great day, like we had in Cheltenham, which is now about five years ago that Eddie and I had with a back-to-back-to-back Mullins day, or it could be disastrous. Um, So Concertista, I think, is a well-deserved favorite, and I think that would be my pick. But this would be a race, if I'm winning on the day, I throw some money on it. If I'm losing, I probably just... Put some money on the favorite then because the favorites haven't been winning so eventually they need to win so with eddie's logic i'll go with that
2: i'm gonna side with the favorite i actually think this is one of the favorites in with based on every the kind of body of work and all of form looks like one of the most solid on the card one last year at cheltenham easily was maybe the most perf- impressive performance of Cheltenham last year has done nothing wrong in the two races it's had this year. And for that reason, I see no, no reason why I would go elsewhere. Roxana has been impressive at times. Part of what puts me off is just the running style looks a bit awkward and I'd never really like that in a horse. It just, even if they win, it just makes me feel uncomfortable when you're looking at them and they, they don't look settled. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick with the favorite here.
1: Yeah, same. It's, it's Contest Eater for me. One of the reasons is, is just how dominant Mullins is with the Mayor's Hurdle. So uh, this, this race was Quavega's, wasn't it? For like six years in a row and that was a hell of a mare no, i can't say that often but there you go hell of a mare and i just like the fact that this race leads on to awesome things like look at honeysuckle who won it last year as well and like eddie said like Constatisa won it so well last year really tip them to win well again and have a really bright future but for me uh, Mullins is just so dominant. Like, yeah, six of the wins were Quavega, but of the 13 runnings of this race, 11 of them have been won by the Irish and 9 of those 11 by Mullins and 6 of those 9, Quavega. So yeah, I'm going with the stats here, but also I'm going with the best horse. So um, concertista for me. So
0: so Roxana, you guys are putting up the red light?
2: Mm. <laughs> Might <laughs> no be medics. if it wins. <laughs> yeah. Now, if Sam has picked out a bunch of winners so far and you're following his advice. By the time you get to this race, you might think that he has heavenly powers and you might think you might even start calling him St. Sam, who is the second favorite in the, to give it its full name, Boodles Juvenile Handicap Hurdle.
1: Uh, What is Boodles? The Boodles. I don't (laughs) know what Boodles is. I just saw it and laughed as well.
2: And uh, you have Hughry at four to one, Saint Sam five to one, Bustleton at eight to one, Coltor at nine to one, Rivier de Tell at ten to one, Glorious Zoff at eleven to one, Cabot Cliffs at twelve to one, and Nassalam and Zofanien at twelve to one. Now, might you, you might you might go higher than this in prices? There are bigger prices there that might still tempt you very open race perhaps the most open race we've actually looked at so far and then i think there's nearly 20 horses you could make a, a strong on case for saint, saint sam are you going with your namesake or looking elsewhere
1: so um at some point like you said earlier for the ultima you just have to look at names and saint sam's one of them so i was like you know what it's a complete crapshoot of a race but also in a, in a way um this race is a kind of shitter version of the triumph that's run a couple of days later so a lot of entries of horses that just don't cut the triumph go into this race so you take that into account as well so I was going St Sam just on the fact that it's my name but reading into it Mullins obviously is a bit of a tick Uh, Except Mullins can't win every race, so that's a bit of a problem. But what I liked about St. Sam is that in its past runnings, um, it had done decently against Triumph horse candidates in those races. So it had done pretty well against horses that are going to be in a better class of race at Cheltenham. So after kind of seeing the data that backed up just the fact that it's called St. Sam, I'm taking St. Sam. So it's about five to one, you said, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, around there. I now, this is where I start to feel uncomfortable because the big question mark for a lot of these races at Cheltenham, right, is how our Gordon Elliott or former Gordon Elliott horses going to adapt to being with new trainers or in new circumstances, unfamiliar yards, unfamiliar routines. Uh, and I am going to be picking Riviere Tell, who is a Gordon Elliott horse. Uh, kind of fits a lot of the molds that Gordon Elliott has made a living off of, which is taking horses from France, taking them to Ireland, and then taking them to England to win big races. Uh, ran very impressively uh, in December in Ireland. And I think at 10 to 1, it's worth taking a chance on as an each way bet.
0: Boodles is Britain's leading retailer of fine diamond jewelry since 1798.
2: And if you win enough, you can go and shop there.
1: Yeah, you can get oodles and...
2: You can get oodles, oodles of boodles.
1: Oodles of boodles. <laughs> wow, what a way to just absolutely dumb down class. <laughs> so I'm going to go
0: with... Um, I'm going to butcher this translation. Is it who agree? I believe
2: so, yeah. Who agree? Who agree? I mean, who knows, because it's one of those things that's, I think that's how you should say it, but then people obviously don't intend for it always to be said in the way that it's supposed to be said. So who knows? Who knows? Hooks
0: Gris. Hooks Gris. Gris. I'm going Hooks Gris. Uh, It's been pretty well backed. So it started off at about 20 to one when when it first came out, and it's dropped now into, I think, about six to one. Uh, it was a bumper winner in France and then they dropped it into grade one in its last race and it was pretty well beaten, got third, but you know, it was, was pretty well beaten down, but you know, I think that kind of showed how highly they thought of this horse. And I think dropping it back down now into this race from grade one is going to, you know, could be an indicator and it's, it's off of a decent mark. So I think it's got a pretty good chance.
1: There was a, it, it, it's not a bad shout because also Paul Nichols, someone we haven't spoken about much um, throughout the festival, does well in this race. Uh, and I also saw a stat that ex-French horses do well in this race as well. And that's one of them. So Paul Nichols and ex-French. So was so. So revered to tell. But um, there we go. yeah, we'll be, be
2: interested to see. Now, final race of the day and our next destination is the National Hunt Chase in which next, genera- next destination is the fourth price 8-1 to one favorite. Uh, this is an interesting one in the sense that typically this is a race that is run using amateur riders. But because of COVID rules this year, there will be no amateur riders at Cheltenham. And so it will be professionals taking the reins. So a little bit of a different look than most people will be used to. Um, I think for most people, maybe there, there's a positive because it removes some of the unknown factors that they might otherwise feel in that you're always taking a little bit of a gamble on amateur rides. Uh, now we've got Royal Pagail, Pagai at six to four, depending on how you want to say it, you got Galvin at five to two, Iskaria at 10, seven to one next to next destination, eight to one. Lord Royal, 10 to 1. Cocoa Beach, 10 to 1. And all the rest, 12 to 1 or bigger. Sam, what's your final, final pick of the day?
1: Yeah, the, the, the kind of having professional jockeys makes it a little bit different. Um, but this is a real slog of a race because it's at the end of the day, if the ground's already going to be cut up as well, this is a three mile five over fences in cut up ground on the old course as well. So it's sharper. As well so there's going to be more tighter areas of that bog it's going to be a real slog and for that reason when i start looking at some of the favorites i was looking at the weights involved in that and there's some that kind of scare me a little bit there so like uh royal uh pagal or Pagelli, <laughs> has got i'm not sure if some because some
2: people even say Pigal, like the Pigalle. area of paris oh yeah um but it's not spelt in the same way although occasionally it appears in that manner so i don't know I've heard, again it's one of those horses that you just every time you tune in to watch it you hear a slightly different variation
1: on the name so i'd say go with yeah well let's agree on we'll Royal i guess Roy and then yeah, we'll, and then not. we'll see i'm i'm not backing that because it's got almost a stone additional weight like it's a really heavily restricted horse in the um in the weights, and I think that's going to be tough uh, based on what I just said with like potential ground cut. It's going to be a tough old one. Um, I haven't actually gone with too many outsiders in this. I've only picked like I write a 10 to one and the rest have actually been fairly close to favorite them. So I started to look a little bit further down, which is a little bit dangerous, but I do like Cocoa Beach a 10 to one. Uh, I think you've mentioned 10 to 1 anyway. I think I saw it at 10 to 1. But um, again, I like people with good form going in, like really soon going into the um, going into the jumps. And it won a good race at Gowran Park or Goran Park uh, a few weeks back. And um, it, it's not the best race in the day, but I, I do think it won a pretty tidy race at Goran Park. And for that reason at 10 to 1, and the fact it's pretty nicely put in the weights, I'll take that.
0: This for me is a hashtag redemption. So I remember last year, Galvin was a joint favorite and I bet on it and it got second and kind of got, I think if I remember the race correctly, it was in the lead and got basically beat at the end and kind of got passed through on the last few furlongs. So I'm going to stick with the redemption story. Eddie likes to say, if you've raced at Cheltenham, it's worth something. So I'll go with Galvin on this one.
2: I like the idea that I've kind of copyrighted the principle of previous experience at Cheltenham is useful, but I'm willing to take the credit on that one.
0: And and this was a Gordon Elliott horse that's no longer now a Gordon Elliott horse. And (laughs) Elliott
2: has done, historically done pretty well in this race. But it's always hard to judge because what that typically means is that Elliott has three or four runners in a pretty open race and one of them wins. Now, that wraps up day one. I guess before we move on to day two, do you have a bet of the day for day one?
1: Do you just mean like better the day in terms of like most value or banker of the selections we have? Like which Let's one say is strongest for?
2: One horse you're willing to risk your reputation on.
1: Oh my God. Okay. Reputational. Um, I really would like to say honeysuckle because, but the problem with that is the class of competition around it. So I've probably got to go Concertista. I'd, I'd probably go with that one. I think it's a bit of a safer favorite, but I do think Honeysuckle is like, I feel more strongly about that horse, but Concertista, I feel like if I'm risking something on it, I'd go Concertista.
2: I'll agree with you, not on the Honeysuckle aspect, because obviously I picked Epiton for that race, but I'm going to say Concertista is the, is my kind of banker of the day if I had to pick one.
0: I would go appreciate it just because I I don't think there's a lot else racing in that race. There's probably only one or two other horses Ooh. that could could give it a shot.
2: So Frank's reputation might be gone after the race first race one the of festival. day one. <laughs> yeah, sure. everyone can mean, be I, like
1: twenty-seven after this <laughs> because that's
0: I I think that's always part of it. You know, if if you have a banker, it's not only. The horse you're most confident in, but it's how confident are you that someone else could win that race. And I think I agree with the honeysuckle. I do think honeysuckle can win, but you know, you're racing Epiton and, and Goshen, and those are two great horses. So who, you know, you can't be that confident, even though honeysuckle's had a great, a great year. So I'd rather yeah. kind of do what you guys are doing. Maybe like a concertista, you know, as a clear standout horse where there's not much else competition. And I think appreciate that also checks those boxes.
2: The big right. Yeah, tripping. makes sense, I think. Yeah. Maybe it's the big chill double there. You throw yep. those two horses together. I wouldn't be opposed to that. Probably a move I will be making on the day. The big chill Mullins double. Yes, true. And we will be just as excited and happy as he is if they both win. Um, now, day two. Perhaps you've lost everything day one. You're living out in the wild. You're having to watch a bunch of Bear Grylls episodes just to know how to survive now that you're homeless
1: how are you watching them if you're homeless
2: you still got a phone okay you know the you you've made with your...
0: with good enough service that you can stream bear grills
2: <laughs> well it's it's midway through the month so you 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 unusually were kicked out of your house on the 14th strange move to be evicted midway through but You've still you've got cell phone coverage for the, ne- the next two weeks.
1: <laughs> oh, phew, my data plan continues for two more exactly. weeks. <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> and they might even give you a grace period. Maybe you're getting three weeks. So you've still got that. And Bear Grylls is 10 to 1 in the first race of the day. The Ballymore Novices a hurdle. Bob Ollinger is 2 to 1 favorite. Guyard Domeniel Demen- is 5 to 2. Brave Man's Game, 3 to 1. Appreciate it is priced at nine to two for this rate but you'd have to assume if it appears in the first race of the day on day one it's not reappearing on the first race of the day at day two although many horses do race twice at the cheltenham festival unusual for them to be back-to-back days uh, especially when they are high-profile horses that's more something you see for the kind of a lower class Uh, and then you have blue lord
1: at 16 to 1 where are you going here sam it's a tough opener, but um, it's St Patrick's Day, and um, the the Irish tend to love dominating on St Patrick's Day. Um, so there's usually um, there's some interesting winners in this one actually. When you've looked at the past, like Sam Crow on uh, Voyellan, uh, Forheen Forheen, Forheen yeah. one as well. So there's there's some good pedigree with this race in terms of horses that come out of it. Um, I was going to go with uh Galliard de Mesnel or Mesnel Mesnel, Mesnel. you know what let's just say it literally so um again it just follows a similar logic like recent good wins in good company at Leopardstown um but what I like about it is that it it's improved quite a bit as well like it might one it's made him really well stepped up won a grade one really well so there's a lot to improve about this horse as well And I I think five to two on a horse that would have been geared towards this and is showing good improvement from a maiden to a grade one quickly. um, There's good value there. So um, yeah, I think you mentioned five to two. So um, yeah, that's my tip.
2: And it's worth noting you're tipping a five to two and we've said that we've maybe edged towards a, a large number of favorites and that's room for concern. This is a race that has typically been dominated by horses higher up in the betting, seven of the last 10 winners have been priced at under five to one. So, and only one has been in double figures. So it is a race that even though it on paper can often look rather open, uh, it is dominated by some of the favorites. That being said, that might be a little bit misleading based on some of the caliber of horses that have appeared in the past with the likes of Sam Crow and Faheen. And so this year might be a little bit different. Frank, are you staying at the top of the market or looking further down?
0: slightly top, I guess, you know, Eddie, you say you're down on your luck. You're on the streets. You know what? It takes a really brave man to walk back into that paddy power and place a bet when you don't have a, you don't have a roof to sit under. So I'm going to go with brave man's game in the first race off of a grade one win in a, in a convincing fashion. Um, it's improved every start this year. the, the form, the speed and the form figures on its last race are really good. Um, it's got a higher rating than any the other horses in the actual race, um, including Mo- both of Mullins' horses, both the Irish horses. So uh, I'll stick with Brave Man's game. And it looks, it's, it's good in any any type of weather, good or, or soft. So I think, that, you know, with ground always being a concern at Cheltenham, it, it can it can go on either.
2: Well said it's the smart move is to stay at the top of the market. So I'm going to round off our picks by saying I'm going to stick with Bob Ollinger at two to one. Interesting in the sense that Blue Lord, who's 16 to one for this race, kind of franked some of the form for Bob Ollinger by finishing just behind uh, Bally Adam and uh, Appreciate It last time out. So in a sense, if that form stays true... And assuming that Appreciated and Adam run well on day one, then Bob Ollinger will look even better in this race. Uh, so on that on that premise, I'm I'm going to stick with the two to one favorite. I guess worth saying, if you do have a strong opinion on this race, if you're edging towards one of those first three in the betting, probably worth doing it before Tuesday, just or even as early as possible, just because. I assume, when appreciated, assuming appreciated does drop out, that all of those prices will shorten slightly. So it might be worth trying to get it on as soon as you hear this, <laughs> if you, if you do have, do want a little bit of a a flutter on that race. Now, this is where we're gonna have to see the latest exhibition of the Brown Advisory Novices Chase. <laughs> Where we have another heavy favorite at Monkfish at 8 to 13. This is another interesting race in the sense that several of the, pra- the horses towards the top of the betting are earmarked to run elsewhere, in that you have Royal Pagal at 5 to 1, second favorite, latest exhibition, who is also uh potentially in a race on day one at eight to one next destination who's also potentially in a race at eight at joint third favorite eight to one so it's a difficult market to look into but clearly monkfish is the class horse in the race so it's a question of do you want to is this the Cheltenham banker of the day or do you want to take it on
1: that's exactly it this is this is the Cheltenham banker maybe of the festival Because when you look at Monkfish, like it's a previous champion winner. It's won its last six and the way it's won its last six as well has just been insanely impressive. Um, But also then you break down its competition. So you look at kind of Royal Pagal latest exhibition, next destination. So Royal Pagal, even though it's the Hunt Chase favourite and they think it's going to the Hunt Chase, the connections have said they may target the Gold Cup. So interestingly enough, it doesn't sound like they're talking about this race. So you eliminate that horse. Uh, then you've got a uh, latest exhibition and Monkfish beat it in its last two outings um, convincingly. Um, so again, that kind of eight to one against an eight to 13 kind of feels correct. And then you're looking at essentially the rest, but I can't look past Monkfish here at, at like almost at all. I just think it's a pretty imperious jumper. And it's only going into this festival strong. (laughs) The only problem I have is that Mullins will lose at some point. (laughs) And I seem to be going hell for leather with him. And it becomes a problem. But ultimately, you you know, you see a good horse, you call a good horse, you bet on a good horse. So I, I think this may be the banker of the festival. So I'm going Monkfish all the way here.
2: Yeah, I agree with you, not to give, I think you've done a pretty good job there of analyzing the situation. It's always worrying, betting on the horse that you know will be in every single person's double or treble or accumulator for the day or the week, and just that historically one of those loses, and that it's the the kind of normally the silent Cheltenham crowd as they watch the upset of the day happen and everyone throwing their betting slips into the air, Um, I guess we'll be saved of that site this time. And maybe we'll be saved because monkfish will storm home in the way that you'd expect it to, but it's a short price, but it's hard to pick. It's one of those where not only do I really like monkfish and have been impressed by everything it's done. It's just hard to pick the horse that's going to beat it. Even if you think it's going to be a little bit sort of off color on the day.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, in the second reference to Annie Power exactly what Eddie's saying same silks same trainer same odds on price and then tickets in the air computers on the floor it's it's a nightmare but yeah it, the issue right now is it's 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 gone already to 8 to 13 and who knows what's even going to go off at so as a single i i don't know i always hesitate with taking such low odds on jumps races on a single just because it's, that issue of of the fall is just always there compared to like a it, flat race
2: it is i'd actually be interested to see the numbers because i do get what you're saying there is a greater degree of risk and uncertainty that they need the complete round but i my gut feeling is that odds on horses in over hurdles or fences are actually safer bets than odds on horses over flat like that's just kind of my feeling that assuming you have a reliable jumper the additional time like the length of the race allows for there to be positioning doesn't really matter as much and something can kind of go wrong over the course of the race and it's not race over whereas if you're talking about a seven furlong race you miss the break or you know just something get caught and sort of boxed out at some moment and it's it's game over
0: yeah and you're probably right i'm sure that the stats actually back that but just Mentally for me, it's it's a tough thing to to get over, especially because we've had such bad luck on some of those before. But I think monkfish is a cut above the rest here. I have to give a shout out on an each way to Dick, Di- sorry, Dickie Diver. At Twenty were to gonna one. Just well, what were Dick
2: you going to say, <laughs> Dick Diver? <laughs> Look, and we know full well that Frank, there is every chance that monkfish is going to be the last horse in a bet for you of day one favorites with monkfish to try and round it off on day two every chance of this happening maybe with barcelona also on monday night like some kind of accumulator oh yeah of like a lines.
1: portuguese benfica or Porto will be playing yes, as well some I, I think
2: barcelona are playing monday night so you know you got some kind of bet like that like it's probably going to be in play or like fingers fingers crossed is going to be in play because otherwise it just means that day one was really bad but so Fingers crossed for Monkfish, and I tell you what, if Monkfish doesn't win, heaven help us, because we will go be going into the Coral Cup, which is a wide-open race, a 7-1 to one favorite with Grandois. Heaven help us, as mentioned, is 20-1. to one. I don't even know where it figures in the betting. Probably 20-1, 12th favorite. It's probably favorite. It's probably but favorite. Not far off. It <laughs> might be by the time the race goes off. Uh, just so many hard for me to give a breakdown of the betting. You've got Kashari eight to one, the shunter, 11 to one. You raised me up 11 to one. Botox has at 12 to one great white shark, who we've already seen in some feature in some of the other races at 12 to one Monte Cristo, 14 to one and all bigger. I mean, just a huge number of voices all the way up to 50 to one. So do your best pick a winner. Frank. Monkfish has just stormed home for you. Your accumulators just landed. You've got some money in your account, which even if you're picking the favorite, you're looking at seven to one here. How are you looking to just turn a good day and a half at Cheltenham into a great two days?
0: Oof, That would be a really nice feeling to go into this. Um, I'm going to go with you raised me up. One, it's last two. It's progressive. I still think it's got some room in the weights. Uh, sitting at right now, 12 to one, I think that's decent. Um, I'm, I also kind of like Monte Cristo, but I think that's because I like Monte Cristo sandwiches. I I really have no, no real reason to take Monte Cristo. Uh, but you raised me up, um, has won its last two and I think still has some in hand in the weights. So I think that's going to be my bet once I cash out my Monkfish win because Monkfish raised me up. So Sam,
1: This is probably the hardest race at Cheltenham to find, find a winner, or at least try and find like some semblance of value in it. And so you start looking at several reasons as to why you start looking at potential weights. You start looking at who's a good runner in the ground. You start looking at just sheer form in terms of like, right, who's, who's won the race races, who's got the best jockey. I ultimately am really unsure where to go. And what bugs me about where I have gone is there's another damn Mullins horse. <laughs> like at some point I kind of have to stop, but I've gone with Kashari Because when you look at the weights and you look at the quality of race it's been in, but also the position it's been in, it's only been hit by two pounds in the handicap. And that surprised me for the level of weight seen by the others and also some of the races that it's gone with. But it's it's a bit of an unknown entity as well because when it ran, it hasn't been seen for a while, which goes against some of my logic from day one. But when it did last run, um, the jockey lost uh, the stirrups. And so basically it was a complete, uh, you're, you're basically going to lose from that point, but still managed to gamely keep it in sixth. And I just feel like, if there was a potential that it still ran well when the jockey's fully on board, it hasn't been hit because it's only been hit by two pounds with the handicapper. Is there something there? Maybe. And, you know, looking at the kind of price, I appreciate it's like second, third favorite, but I think there's something good there. So, yeah, I, hopefully there's value in Kashari, but I, I think there's something to come from that.
2: Well, one way or another, I think my bank balance is probably going to need a little bit of a bump by this point, either a nice bump with the some winnings or a nice bump because it's struggling. And in that case, this is one of those, just going to pick by name and I'm going for the shunter, a horse that has raced well. <laughs> Your nickname at school. <laughs> exactly. A, a horse that has raced well this season, One last time out in good style, uh, had a good win back in November at Cheltenham. Um, so... I think would prefer the ground to be on the softer side, but fundamentally, you know, there's as much to like about it as there is anything else in this race. So at 11 to one, it would be my, my each way, my each way tip now in I'm, between I'm that excited race. For this.
1: I'm excited for this. If this is the transition.
2: Well, if you're excited, you know what? Sam, just take a breather, put the kettle on, and wait for the champion chase. Because then we've got yet another relatively heavy favorite with Chacun Porsois at four to five, Altior, seven to one, Nuba Negra at eight to one, Politolog, a horse that has <laughs> never, never done well for me, one way or the other at nine to one and put the kettle on, put the kettle on at 11 to one. Frank, I'll start with you because you know my history with political Where are you going? So,
0: so I am going favorite. I actually think this is the banker of the week over monkfish. Wow. And part of the reason is I'm going to call out to washed up and done. And once you do that, then you have, Nuba Negra, who's last win is against a washed-up Altior, so I'm not too concerned about that. And then you have Politolog, and I am not worried. Only Eddie worries about this horse. So as long as Eddie is nervous about that horse, then I'm confident it won't win. The minute Eddie gets you know, boisterous and there's no chance and this and that, it's not going to win again, then I back off and I back it.
2: Frank, <laughs> there's no chance Politolog wins this race.
0: <laughs> then I'm gonna hedge all of my bets to end with Chacun for sois and Politolog, so I don't end up killing Eddie.
1: <laughs> but
0: Look, I, 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 I I think it's a, i think it's a great horse and they are super high on it. Um mm-hmm. Willie Mullins is very, very high on this horse, um, even more than monkfish, and and I think I think this is going to be a big win, and the prices are a little better than Monkfish at this point.
2: I and I don't disagree with you. Pour sois has been extremely impressive, and the only fault, in a way, is it's the question mark over what's it, what has it beaten so far. That's kind of the issue that you have at the moment: is it's won everything in fine style, but is it beating much? And is this the first time that it's going to be really tested against uh, high quality opposition? And I'm going to agree with you and just say that my eye test, which doesn't matter what it's running against, shows that it's a great horse and that if it reproduces that performance, it beats almost anything. But I can understand a little bit of concern on an odds-on horse where you really don't feel like it's proven itself against a group of horses of this class. But chacun pour soi pour pour moi... Pour moi, (laughs) I wasn't even (laughs) meaning to do it. (laughs) Oh, that's great! But uh,
1: pour soi, pour moi.
2: But some reservations.
1: Um, take it one further. Has it done anything outside of Leopardstown? No, I don't think it's barely been out of Leopardstown. I think almost all of its wins have been at Leopardstown as well. But look. Frank, I think you've mentioned it before. Like, can you do it on a cold Tuesday night or a wet Tuesday night in Stoke? Just Question. Just, to,
2: just to correct you there. Uh, okay. It has also won at Cork and it has also won at Nace.
1: Okay. <laughs> so just... Okay, so but that, it, okay fine, fine. Okay, it hasn't done much outside of Leopardstown. It's won two races. But he, here's my point. It's never run Cheltenham and there is something about the cheltenham hill that does matter there is a genuine feel that when something starts to go up that hill at the end the adjustment if you've done it before could matter and that's that's a question mark over the horse for me is that it's in really good company um i agree with uh the sentiments and out, like I think it's an age thing with Altior. I just think it's a it's a really unfortunate thing that it had the injury and it's come back and obviously it's gone into a group of horses that are just really good. But Nicky Henderson is really adamant on it. He's like, that was exactly the run it needed. Like Nubra Negra, fine, beat it. But it was the run it needed and he saw no problems with Altior's run. However... I don't actually see that much of a problem with Politolog. So, won last year, fine. It was a pretty easy uh, version of the uh, chase. But since then, it's won the Tingle and it's won the Clarence House at Ascot. It's won them pretty well. It's nine to one. It's a it's a much it's a much better company. But I think there's a value bet there. Now, I have the issue of do I continue with my Muller discharge where he wins basically everything at Cheltenham? Or do I at some point have to think that there's value here? <laughs> I think there might be value in Politolog. So I think oh I'm going to go Politolog to win. I, 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 It's done nothing wrong. And it's to win or each one, way? I think I'd have to go each way with the value, 9-1. to one. But um, I just think it's done nothing wrong. And if anything, it's actually won the Tingle and the Clarence in good company. On top of winning the Champions Chase last year. So... I think there's each way value in Politologue. But if I was going to go for a winner, you'd have to say chachon Porsois,
2: Or even chachon Porsois. But yeah, no, uh, it's now, horse. look, Sam, question marks about how you pronounce the French words. And there might be some question marks about whether you're Saint Sam. But there are no question marks about whether or not you are out, Sam. So with that in mind, we turn our attention to the cross-country chase where out Sam is 33 to 1. You have Easy's Land, a horse that Sam has tipped in the past. It was a bet of the week at one moment for him, and I think was withdrawn. No, it lost. lost. Uh, You have Tiger Roll at 4 to 1, Potter's Corner at 5 to 1, Some Neck by 12 to 1, Balco de Floss at 14 to 1, and all the rest. (laughs) Are you
1: sure that's how you say it?
2: No, Balco de (laughs) Flos, and all the rest at 20-to-1. You know, it's the tough thing about some of these names is not saying them when you... It's the familiarity with them, obviously, but not saying them in the moment. It's when you run through a number of them quickly, and then that's when it hits you. Uh, But yes, all the rest are 20-to-1 or bigger. So, Sam, sticking with your previous bet of the week, or are you doubting it now?
1: I'm not doubting it. Uh, I think Easy's Land is a really good uh, one for this. Also, the cross-country, it annihilated it last year, and that was one of the reasons I tipped it up. It was his first run back. But what was interesting about that first run back is that it absolutely it jumped terribly, which is very unlike it, and um, it just plowed into fences. It wasn't jumping over them. It was it was really going into them, and that just kills all momentum. The horse won't run it really changes it and especially in a cross country where the undulations haven't used out for a while the undulations are ridiculous uh that's going to really matter but i think it's going to have a long break it's had a long break since it last went out and i i think it, it will still be the horse to beat here um i don't know frank if you're taking the field because tiger rolls in there i've Uh, I've got
2: before you ask frank that question i got are you not concerned by the fact that it hasn't had a run since that disappointment which is either it's a good sign all has gone well in and it's training well and they're just very happy with it or they're unsure of it and they've just decided well this is where it has to be thrown back in because if it's not going back to cheltenham what are we doing with it also very interesting that kingswell theater who beat it so emphatically last time out is 33 to 1
1: for this race there are some interesting horses at the back that run this well and kingswell theater is one of them um yes it is a massive concern that um the connections haven't ridden it since haven't ridden it it's not like they're riding it haven't put it out there uh,
2: since it if gordon elliott's around
1: you never know (laughs) I was waiting for that. I'm genuinely amazed that we got halfway through day two and we haven't seen anything about Gordon Elliott on a horse, but I think the reason it's high up in the field is just because of the respect it deserves from that time. It won last time. And the connections have come out and said that, um, uh, what's it called? Cotton, isn't it? Um, have said that it needed that. So, Yes, there's reservations that we haven't seen it again, but I think it just commands respect from his previous win at Cheltenham last time. Just a note, by the way, this is arguably my favorite race because it's the most unique there. Um, it's great to go like to the inside of Cheltenham and see them go around all of these obstacles. But um, Eddie, my my question to you would be, like, what, what are your odds in the cross-country chase? I'm... <sighs>
2: This is not one that I would say with any confidence. It would be a stay away despite the short-priced uh, nature of the favorite. But I will be sticking with Easy's Land just out of the fact that I don't know. I'm not. I'm staying well away from Tyrol, who just seems a complete spent force at this point. And I think that I'd side with the idea that it was that the race. The, the appearance earlier in the season was the blip and that that class will show at Cheltenham. But it certainly won't be a race or a horse that I'm sticking into any doubles or trebles. And it won't be something that unless I am well, well up by this point on day two of Cheltenham that I am making any sizable uh, bets on.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll complete the, the threesome. <laughs> Uh, I'll stick with Easy's easy's land as well. Um, it was giving a ton of weight away in that race that it got fourth in first, first race back. It'll definitely be fitter from that. And it's now on level terms with Potter's corner. I think it was giving up over, I think like over 14 pounds to Potter's corner when Potter's corner got second to easy's lands fourth in the last race. So, I mean, that's a huge amount for a, you know, almost four mile race. So, um, I think Easy's Land will will take it. Um, I will not be backing Tiger
2: Roll. Oh,
1: wow. True to full.
2: Well, even if Easy's Land is turned over. In any case, or in French as we might say, En tout cas by the grand annual, I'm sure we'll be all having another bet. You've got Sky Pirate at seven to one, En tout cas at seven to one, embittered at seven to one the shunter who I've already picked for a race at 15 to two Zanza at eight to one and all the rest are 14 to one or bigger. Frank, Uh, what's your move. Yes. The
0: classic Johnny Henderson grand annual challenge cup, handicap chase, a classic in my book. I, I lick my chops every year to betting on this. (laughs) Uh, I've, I've, Got not much here. (laughs) I mean, this is you know, this is another one of those large handicap. it just scares the living hell out of me. I'm I'm gonna just just stay away. The tip is
1: passed. Well you have to you have to you have to to pick up you have to you have to make a pick. All right,
0: all right. I'm gonna go with a way outsider and I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with a there we go. Henry de Bromhead, cappuccino mix at 33
1: to 1. I think it might be cappuccino uh, mix. Cappuccino mix. Cappuccino mix. And it's 25. So you don't get eight points on it. <laughs> 33 at Ladbrooks, the official sponsor. Of no, official no. Vladcast.
2: No, that doesn't work like that. <laughs> What's wrong no. with you? That's 33 to 1.
1: So. Um, Interesting race though because it is uh one mile seven. It's an under two mile uh chase and um it's on the older course as well, so it means it's a sharper chase. Like this is a a weird one. Um it's quick and it makes it quite hard to pick horses on it. But there's actually one horse, like looking through this. Um as Frank mentioned, this is a tough race. Uh, I don't believe since i think i saw a stat like since 1950 or something like that no horse has run it twice so it kind of gives you an idea of like how um varied the winners are but there's one horse i really liked in here is 16 to one called Iblio or Iblio, Iblio. let's go with it's lost meaning now so it's fine uh i like it because it's four recent runs are two seconds two firsts but what i liked is that all of them were in class twos And every single time, it was getting hit harder and harder in the weights. They're all on soft ground, so if the ground is soft, you've got a horse that can run in more than capable company every time with harsher weights on it. So I haven't seen, I think it's only had a slight bump up because it was really heavily penalized in this last one. So I don't think the British handicap has done too much to it. Uh, So if the ground softens or stays soft, Uh, I think there's good value there on a consistently good horse that defies weight expectation. So um, yeah, I'll go Iblio at 16 to one. Yeah,
2: it's a tough one. It will be unfamiliar to many people as well because of the fact that traditionally this horse has always been raced on the Friday. So this is a new position for it on Wednesday. So it might be one that people kind of aren't used to appearing where it is and having a such a wide open handicap as the second-to-last race on the on the second day. Very, very tough to try and pick a winner. I'm going to opt for Sky Pirate, who has been a little bit unpredictable, but has been near on unstoppable since dropping back to two miles. So could just be a complete flop on the day, but... I'll trust that it's seven to one might actually being, be getting some decent value there. So the nice thing about this race, right, is no matter which horse you're taking, you can go each way and and you're okay. Um, but that's, that's going to be my move. Good name. Sky, Sky Pirate. I, I like that. Now in the final race of the day, it might be hard to pick a winner. But with a little bit of fine casting you might be able to pick the right horse. So, Sam, with my weakest segue and weakest pun, we've got another relatively heavy favorite in... Well, I guess you have 15 to 8 and 2 to 1, so two horses very strong at the top of the market. Where are you going?
1: I, I don't think the bumper gets the kind of credit it deserves, because... This is really, this is like the most prestigious one on the calendar. So for people that don't know, um, a, a kind of a, the bumper is the one where they just run essentially over a long distance. It's almost like a precursor before you start jumping. It's, it's a case of your endurance running. And what I like about this race is again, it's similar to the one we discussed about the, the Ballymore novices hurdle that at the start of the day is that Envoy Alain, Champagne, Fever, and Q Card have won this race. So it's always cool to look at some horses and maybe track them from this race just to see what happens from it. And it's a really good opportunity to, like, see uh, kind of younger horses, uh, relatively speaking, for jumps and um, kind of track them. And this has been billed as like a two horse race, right, between um, Kilcru, Kilcru, yeah, and Sir Gerhardt. Kilcru, thank you. It's i i see it as a two horse race when i look at like their form and i I look at what's going on but for me i'll go Kilcrip because when you look at the way and the commentary around how it won its uh races at um leopardstown i can't remember the other one i think it was it was somewhere good like nace or somewhere like that um not only did it win it well but it Won very well, kind of powerfully at the end, but also it did it against good opponents. Uh, quite a few of them are actually running in these races, which is why you've got two horses that have beaten a lot in this race. So um, I think it's a shootout between the two, but I'll go Kilcruat because I think it's um, it's won more impressively in its outings. Yeah,
2: Kilcruat's last performance at the beginning of February uh, at Leopardstown was one of the most impressive performances of the season and probably one of the more dominant performances you'll ever see in a bumper. The ease with which it won, the fact that it was still on the bridle and just absolutely cruising. Uh, if it in any way replicates that performance, then it's going to be incredibly difficult to beat. For that reason, I'm going to side, agree with you and side with it. Um, tough, tough one, because it does look like Sir Gerhard's a, a very decent horse in its own right as well so it wouldn't stun me if Sir Gerhard were to win but uh, based on that last performance I, I have relatively good confidence in, in Kilkrut uh, winning this one
0: Let's be clear about it that's the horse that Kilkrut beat by what 13 lengths, 14 lengths that Eddie said looked amazing Sir Gerhard also beat Let's be clear about it. In it's last race out by about three to four lengths. So if you just put that up at face value, Kilkart looks much the better horse. I mean, obviously, you know, when you have these younger horses in these bumpers, there could be some progression and things like that, but that was a pretty dominating performance. Um, And when you have the exact same horse come in second each time, you can at least compare a little bit. And so for that, I think I'll go Kilkart as well.
2: Right, well, that wraps up our preview for day one and day two of the Cheltenham Festival. Obviously, anyone who enjoyed this and who's going to be picking any, well, wanting to hear our selections for the rest of the festival, our next episode, we'll we'll go over the remainder, but we're going to try and break it up so you didn't have to hear us listen, go over sort of 40 races or whatever it is. Um, And so, yes. Uh, that that wraps it up. Hopefully, we'll have, we'll have had a few winners there, and uh, day three we'll be be increasing our stakes.
1: Or come next Thursday's podcast, we're licking our wounds at how bad <laughs> the opening has been at Cheltenham.
2: That's always possible. I mean, look, you can even have a successful day picking in some respects, and if you get the hour any power treatment, it can undo all of the the good work.
1: Um, I, I feel like Annie Power is like a kind of like horse who shall not be named. Because I yeah, feel it's, like it's a bad luck scenario now. Like, some people will call uh, the situation like an Annie Power situation.
2: I guess it did make its return though, right? So it did slay its demons. Um Yeah, I I think any power is just there are moments when horse races, you'll always be able to remember where and when you were and the significance of it. And that time with any power, I can very vividly remember sitting in my office, watching that race, feeling like the uh, sort of trebles and forefall that I'd done was about to storm home then just being sat in silence and then having a meeting that started sort of 10 minutes after the race had finished and basically not being able to function in that meeting, <laughs> just sitting there. I was just a specter at that point. I, I was merely I, observing.
1: I think you messaged me pretty soon after, cause we were watching it or, um, you know, we were kind of like speaking at the same time. I'm pretty sure you messaged me and said like, this is the closest I've ever come to genuinely believing this is a fix in horse racing. You can kind of see why.
2: <laughs> Which I don't believe, right? And I hate. It's one of those things I hate when people do it. I hate it with a passion when people try and accuse things of being a fix. And I don't really because I don't think. I think if you were going to lose that race, you would have done it in a different style. You're not going to
1: ruin a horse's legs trying. And to also, do it.
2: yeah, not potentially cause severe damage to the horse or as the jockey caused severe damage to you. Um, it would have been much easier to just sort of get it off the bridle earlier on mess it around and then have it sort of, you know, expend all of its energy at at some other point and, and get beaten close to the line. There would have been ways to do it. I think if that's the way they're fixing races, then that's incredibly bold, but, um, no, it was, it was one of those low moments. Um, Good for the bookies, I guess. So good for them, but bad for the rest of us.
0: Even I remember where I was for that race. And that's saying something.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that is actually. Can't remember what you had for (laughs) breakfast, but can remember where you were when Annie Power fell at the last at Cheltenham. Yep. The thing about the Annie Power Fall too, right, was it was, say, when you compare it with Goshen, Goshen was dramatic in the sense that you unseated the rider at the last, but the unseating itself wasn't in any way spectacular. Whereas any power just ate it at the (laughs) last. Like it just. The
0: the picture of of Ruby Walsh just getting face planted in as the horse is on its, on its knees, basically. It's just, I'll never have that image erased from my mind.
2: And the spectacular in fact,
0: Eddie I, Eddie has a poster of it.
2: <laughs> I do given to me by Frank, but um, <laughs> I, you're right. And also, I mean, the it's all funny, right? Because in the end Walsh was fine and any Power was fine. Uh, and that's kind of the amazing thing about it in some respects is how spectacular the fall itself was. And that, it did no long-term damage to either of them. Um, so hopefully we'll avoid any moments like that this year. So we've discussed <laughs> racial slurs. The next, uh, has there been a transition of power in, in European football and uh, day one and day two of Cheltenham? Are there any other topics that you would come up over the last few days?
1: No, it continues to be, quieter than usual football wise it was good to have the Champions League back but I feel like just waiting kind of just I don't know what I'm waiting for anymore it was just when the (laughs) summer and the winter there was just constant sport right what a depressing depressing what what a depressing people say right before
0: right before (laughs) they make that final step off the (laughs) the bridge
1: but like (laughs) you know know what what i mean like when there was like (laughs) last summer everything was delayed because of covid and you had all of this sport where you don't usually have it and then it continued on into like the winter of sports coming in it just feels like it's quieter than it has been for a long time um, I do
2: get what you're saying and the novelty of the um, different the kind of scheduling of the games as has, has worn off. I will say it will be very difficult if we do return to normal at any point in the next, say, 12 months. And uh, all of a sudden there's just three, like lunchtime kickoff, three, time, three o'clock kickoff, evening kickoff, couple games at the same time on Sundays. I do like the fact that all the matches are separated. I have grown to really appreciate that it will be interesting to see if when fans return they do kind of keep that structure Um, I doubt it because I suppose in terms of getting people to turn up it's a little bit more difficult at times but it would be nice and you say that you've got something to look forward to tomorrow Sam tomorrow it's Blackburn Brentford live on Sky
1: oh okay
0: <laughs> I, I, yeah. Hey. Blackburn fighting for a playoff spot.
2: Well, that is a fight that they have well and truly lost. <laughs> that oh, is... I meant the
0: relegation playoff. Yeah. Okay.
2: <laughs> that ship sailed about six weeks ago and it is never returning to port.
0: But, Eddie, don't you feel that that's the better move? Do you really want to see them move up right now?
2: I'm I am a bit torn, and I think this is probably a an issue for a lot of uh, supporters of championship clubs, which is there's the prospect of being promoted to the Premier League and just losing week in week out is depressing. At the same time, it's not as if they're winning consistently in the Championship, so uh, you know I remember when they were relegated to League One, there was something refreshing about stopping the. The, the bleeding in the championship going down to league one. And suddenly it was just enjoyable to watch Blackburn on a weekly basis. Like I knew they were probably going to win matches. They were playing well. It was entertaining to watch. The downside of the moment is I don't find Blackburn particularly entertaining to watch right now. So I could watch them play non-entertaining football in the Premier league and know that they were securing the long-term future of the club yeah. and that better quality players might come. And then you might just have a miracle and stay up, you know, shuffled United stayed up, didn't expect that. At the moment, actually, I'd say the survival rate of clubs from the championship is pretty high, certainly higher than it was, say, 20, 30 years ago. Um, And the last time Blackburn were promoted to the Premier League, they were promoted in a class where all three teams stayed up. So who knows? Maybe that will happen next time.
1: That's essentially what you're doing, isn't it? You're trading shitter form for more money, usually, when you go to the Premier League.
2: Usually. And, and and look, I think the model you want to get to eventually is the yo-yo knowing that if you can yo-yo for five seasons, eventually you stay up. That if you can keep building your squad one season up, one season down, but you're getting the premier league money year in, year out. Hmm. And that if it takes three or four years, three or four attempts, sooner or later you put a squad together that's capable of staying there. And then once you stay there, who knows,
1: Unless you're Sunderland, who did an incredible job of yo-yoing, but never, like, I think they went up and down, what is it, like four years or something like that, where they got relegated twice, promoted twice, and now they're just down. Yeah, you
2: do need the eventual sticking power, because sooner or later, the players leave, and I think people get... Tired, and you need a commitment from your owners to just keep reinvesting that money as well and not see it as a payday. Uh, but, you know, I miss, I'm just, dis- you know, I, I'll never change the fact that I enjoy supporting Blackburn Rovers. I do get tired of people asking me the question every time I say I support Blackburn Rovers of people asking me what league they play in and sometimes going, oh, I thought they were in a lower division than that. Or what's more ridiculous, I will say this now. If you tell me you're a real football supporter and you have real, genuine knowledge of world football or European football or English football, and then I say I support Blackburn Rovers and your response to that is who, which happens more often than you would expect, at that point, I have no respect for your, your knowledge. I think they won
1: the Premier League once, didn't they?
2: are you is this a genuine question or you just (laughs) but no look it wasn't and this is the thing too it's becoming to feel in my life right like 2004 to 2007 or 8 which was the kind of high watermark of Blackburn's last period in the Premier League doesn't feel that long ago but it is becoming Mm -hmm. quite a long time ago Um,
1: I I know what you're saying, actually, even like with me as an Arsenal fan, I always remember them being such a bogey team. And I still do. I I still think of Blackburn, like if Arsenal ever played them in like the FA Cup or a a league draw or something like that, that's a bad tie for us because of that kind of like time where I grew up with football and they were a good team. So, yeah, that still sticks with me as well.
2: They also just the kind of Graham Sue Mark Hughes eras just don't feel that long ago or that far removed. But we're going back at this point nearly, I mean, it must be 10 managers back to Mark Hughes. Have to try and work it out. But a lot of managers and, you know, 15 years. So.
1: So what have we got next week? We have some squid action, if I understand correctly. We need to wheel the squid out of the ocean.
2: True. If, if any of our American listeners just overwhelmed by what we've just done, I mean, if you are American, you have no idea about Cheltenham and you have made it to this point in the podcast, all credit to you. Cause you have just, you've navigated your own stairs hurdle. I think it's fair to say, but the next week, obviously the, this Sunday is selection Sunday, I think for March madness. So on Monday we will roll Sam, the squid back out of the ocean we will put his total lack of uh, NCAA men's basketball knowledge to the test, and have him pick his bracket. And don't worry, what you the bracket. I does. Do you know Frank? Does uh, Warren Buffett still do that billion dollar challenge?
0: Uh, I don't know. I know ESPN usually does like a million dollar challenge. (laughs)
2: Because, well, to be honest with you, and I mean this very genuinely, if you got the perfect bracket and you only won the million when there was the billion challenge out there, you would feel pretty disappointed.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if it was still out there, yes.
2: But I think the difference too, right, is the ESPN one, you just need to have the best bracket. Whereas the Warren Buffett one was you had to have the perfect bracket. And the perfect bracket is... Fundamentally impossible.
1: Have they asked a creature from the ocean to do it? Well, Warren Buffett kind of looks like a sea creature, so probably
2: (laughs) (laughs) looks like a very old, like, tortoise. But uh...
0: yeah, Sam the Squid's perfect bracket is what's going to get us our notoriety. That's going to bump us up to number one on Apple Podcasts.
2: But yeah we will' we'll, I guess we'll each fill in a bracket so we can have a little competition amongst ourselves, but we'll see most of all how the Sam the squid bracket does.
1: This will be one of the impressive ones because aside from college football, where at least I had some like a, like a five or two percent logic, this I genuinely have zero.
2: Yeah, and and this is not a clue in any way because a lot of the names won't come up, but there is virtually no overlap in terms of which schools are good at basketball that are good at football. Like it's not like you can just think Alabama's good at sports. I'll pick Alabama. Like there is, I'm not going to rule out there is a degree, right? Because obviously there's not there's not an infinite number of schools, and there are big schools that tend to be good at everything, but it's not as if it's a you can't just, if you just picked on this school's good at football, you're not going to do well. That's the only hint I will give you. Now that doesn't say don't pick every team that has a good football program, but right. And it's, I guess we're saying for that, just because with the nature of picking the bracket, going to do it on screen, have that recording and that recording will then go on our new YouTube channel. So anyone who's listening still and has not subscribed to the YouTube channel, go and search for the Big Jill Podcast on YouTube. Uh, And our first video that is up is the full interview with Derek Ray, but in future I will be putting together clips from episodes and then also any of our interviews will go up there, but sort of shorter little clips or anything where a visual aid might help, uh, we'll be putting those up, so. May as well kick it off. Following a bracket just by listening is gonna to get tough. So I do think it will be helpful to have a screen share where I'm actually going through the brackets so that anyone can watch and see what Sam does.
0: Wow, that's a lot of production value, Eddie. Make that's that's sure of you can handle value. that.
2: I mean, it's really not. It's sharing no, I want it
0: like how ESPN does. I want like the bracket and I want like the teams
2: to zoom in no. and then zoom in. Okay, that won't happen. I will be on the ESPN website sharing my screen and then making Sam's bracket picks. Now, the one thing I am going to try and find, so it might not be ESPN, but I'm going to try and find a bracket where they don't list the seedings because so that Sam has as little knowledge as possible.
1: But Uh,
0: that's tough.
1: That's really tough because. How about I put an gonna... actual squid mask on as you're doing? Oh, you think it so he so should get this?
2: You think he should get the seating information?
1: No,
0: no, no. I think he can't even see a bracket because if you know enough about brackets, you know
2: Okay, but- then I'll tell you this. We'll share the screen, but Sam, you're going to have to turn your screen off.
1: <laughs> I'll I'll just wear a squid mask, it's fine. <laughs>
2: No, well, that's going to be weird. I don't want to be on a Zoom call where you're masked. <laughs> we'll no, 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 in. no, no.
1: I want him to go
0: out and have to buy a squid mask. <laughs> I, I no. think that's worth the investment because or that you, would be like a terrible purchase you'd have to make.
2: Or, or literally, I want you to just buy a dead squid and tie its tentacles behind <laughs> your head and you just wear a, a squid over your eyes for, the, for two hours. Yeah. <laughs> But nice. no, I think the alternative is you can just switch your screen off. Or dim it, I'm assuming. Some kind of combination where the, yeah. you can't see it, but you'll still be there and we can see you. Um,
1: yeah. I look forward to this one. Zero. I, I've heard of March Madness, right? I know it's like a really big thing. and like, But I have in no... I've, way- I've
2: watched March Madness with you, Sam. So, I know you've heard of it because when we lived together, we watched a couple games together.
1: They must have been great.
0: He obviously doesn't remember who the teams that won were. (laughs) Not that 12 years ago, watching a game, the teams are going to still be good, but.
2: Yeah, it was 12 years ago.
0: All right. Well, we got a lot to look forward to then. uh, Talk to you boys later.
2: Yeah, see you. Cheerio.